Today is another blessed day for the podcast as we interview some of the people who are blazing the trail for Ghanaian art. Um, the person we're speaking with today is someone who has been working since 2008 to make sure that we are building a local art scene in Ghana. And amongst other things, she's making sure that independent Ghanaian artists are seen on the global art stage um we have none other than stefania manfred with us today thank you very much for joining us thanks thanks for having me great yeah. um so let's just zoom in to 2004-ish right you were probably in italy at the time i'm sure yeah. and you were living your life experiencing the very flamboyant art scene in italy right yeah what were you thinking of at that time in connection to Ghana. To Ghana. Um, well, you know, when you go abroad for university, sometimes you come back home during the course of the you know, the okay. educational mm-hmm. period. So I used to come back on holidays, mostly December. Yes, I admit. <laughs> and um every time I come back I notice something that we don't have. You know, something that's not here, that's not available. And that usually always got me thinking what I could do from there and come back and, you know, start or initiate over here. Um, so a lot of things I was seeing, like, you know, we didn't have as many billboards on the road before, for example. Now we have a pandemic or billboards everywhere. So might be dying on the way and whatnot. But that was one thing, for example, or even like other city things that in my field, at least of advertising and communication, um, I would notice and pick up on. So, 2004, where was I? Was I still in Milan? I think I left by then. I moved back down south to Richie, and I was starting a master's in um, public communication. And um, got a job in the meantime. I was working as an art director in an art agency. And I was just learning. I mean, for me, that's what my mind was doing at the time. I was trying to absorb everything I could possibly absorb from my environment and where I was and who I was around. and. You know, from my boss, he was teaching me a lot about marketing and sales. Um, there was another guy who was doing the web development, so I would like worry, worry him sometimes. And just generally being around people who were doing interesting things. Because, um, yeah, we're sponges, I think, really. We absorb everything that's around us. Um, so I think at the time I was pretty much still more in that phase of, you know, getting educated after university and now you're on the job. So I stayed for another four years, I think, um, while I was working. And um, that gave me time to kind of understand how to process um, in real life, you know, what you've studied uh, in university. So that was exciting. Um, wasn't what I expected, but it was uh, it ended up being a nice uh, surprise. And when you came to Ghana, you were headed for a corporate job. Yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> what so, happened to the detour? 
well, you know, you've come to Ghana, you don't want to be stuck at home and now going to look for a job, which I was not going to do. I mean, I had a job there, so I wasn't allowed to come here, be looking for where I'm going to be. So I was biding time. I think getting to was the last year I was in Italy. I was already starting to get the itch of, you know, I don't want to be here forever and do this forever. I just, just started to let it monotonous. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really cut out for that. So um, my mom just, you know, she's here. People are looking for stuff, and someone was looking for a bilingual, Italian English person to come and work um, in this factory where they do a lot of big projects of cutting wall and things like that. And um, I was like, okay, fine, you know, let's discuss the package, blah, blah. And once I was approved, I said, okay, fine, so I'll come back to Janet. And I really didn't have any kind of issue with that because I knew eventually I wanted to be here. Um, Simply again, because of the fact that there's so much still that needs to be done. And I'd rather be in that kind of space than where everything's kind of set and you're just like, just another number, you know, in the whole um, system. So... When did the idea of the concept store, which started in 2008, come from in that process? In that process. So I started, I got back for 2007 ending. Um, that was like the last two months or so. And... Um, it was interesting, you know, work was fine, but I was coming from a very creative space and my office was, hey, there's some technical more than anything, which I also enjoy, but um, I still wanted to keep in touch with my creative side. And um, initially I was just like friending everybody I could find on Facebook at the time, which was like at least real people were on it and, you know, it was human beings that you communicated with. So, um, I decided to poke into that environment and see who was doing what, you know, at least in my field of interest. So graphic design and photography, fashion even came like later, later. Um, it was mostly about visuals. So I was just kind of like just friending anyone who was visual that thought would cool. Um, and then with time, uh, the can 2008 happened. I think that's what sparked a major part of what we're doing because Charlie just trying to buy a nice t-shirt to support Ghana was just hell. You know, <laughs> there wasn't anything that was really looking nice. And I remember when I got this like huge container ship loads of stuff made in China, you know, that it was like the polos and the t-shirts, as long as they had red, gold, green, then yeah. good, you know, yeah. the colors are on, it doesn't matter how it looks. And I was like, mm, you know, I didn't really feel much of, most of them, just the jerseys were the only ones that people would wear. Like, you know, at least the, the national jersey was cool. So after that, I was like, well, my partner, who was also like um, having a job somewhere, wanted a Charlie White t-shirt. So literally, that's how the whole thing started. Let's do a t-shirt that says Charlie White. <laughs> so I'm a graphic designer. We did that design, and then, well, obviously, you're not going to open a whole store with one t-shirt. So we did like a bunch of other designs, all with, like themed around Ghana and mm-hmm. our our stuff. You know, the stupid things we do, the funny things we do, the smart things we do, the important things we do all of that communicated, but with a visual that was looking very much futuristic or out of this context, but very industrial, very modern, very not African. You wouldn't even, you wouldn't even see a hint of that in the visual, but if you read it or understood the content or the context, then you would get that. So it was just like a way of, I mean, I thought I was having fun with this, mind you, it was something I was just doing because I enjoyed it and, I love seeing the reaction of people when they would see a t-shirt that looks so 
Abuji, like mm-hmm. <laughs> it is here on local road. But that evolved into not just being a space, right, for your teachers, mm-hmm. but mainly a space for cultivation artists. Because yes. you say that you just excited by seeing people who are artistic have those expressions of themselves in whatever form they choose to. How did that lead to bringing these people together? So with time, um, well, my partner left and I was kind of stuck on my figuring everything out. And um, I realized that just doing t-shirts only was even boring for the customers. Sometimes, you know, they come and ask, but don't you have anything else, you know, other than t-shirts? Or do you have new designs? We couldn't bring in all the time. Again, it was still something that wasn't being done for money. It was not like a business business. It was more like a quirk. And um, we tried to experiment with some other products, which also went well. So like now we embroidered some caps with what we had in the t-shirts. Or we tried to do um, just some other kind of merchandise, you know, just testing things out. But people were now approaching me because of the way the shop was laid out and the interior design. They wanted to have their product in the store. So that was my first encounter with, let's say, other people now bringing me something. And I think the timing, this by then was like 2013, 14. The timing and how people had started moving back to Ghana after they spent time abroad was starting to kind of affect things and how they're being done locally. So people were now experimenting on stuff. You know, they've been to places and they know that uh, we can try this out, we can try that out, and, you know, still be who we are. And I think we, we, we were in a phase where people were starting to have more confidence in being a Ghanaian mm-hmm. and therefore trying to express that through the production of whatever it was. I mean, I was expressing it through teachers. Mm-hmm. It was... I felt it was very bad when you come to Ghana you don't have any cool t-shirts about Ghana, for example. And um, other people would so many other things, you know. So everyone had a kind of message that was very positive. And so it just kind of gravitated all into a space that was, you know, open to containing all of that. So you start this art movement, I guess. <laughs> 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 and <laughs> and um, you get... People who would usually not get the access, right, to spaces. Tell us about that evolution. For example, what started with gallery, the container, right? What's more the first artist that you, you started bringing to world? Obviously, you started bringing independent clothing brands, T-shirt brands, all of that. Um, what were some of those first, you know, encounters? encounters? Um, so, let's, I mean, even from products and... I was focusing exclusively on like Ghanaian or African brands. So I didn't want to deal with any imported kind of products or products that were coming from somewhere that has nothing to do with a Ghanaian or an African. Um, so I think even just separating um, the kind of products we were trying to have from the rest and focusing exclusively on that kind of product, identified us as a space for these things. Yeah, indigenous. And I didn't even like using these kind of terms, you know, arts and crafts, indigenous. Like, I'm a very design-oriented <laughs> person. You know, so I, I like to think of things in those terms. Um, so I, a lot of it was solutions problems, let's put it this way. Um, one was an empty space. The warehouse was one of the first spaces where people were starting to now come and say, okay, we want to use this place to do something. Um, so in the music sector, for example, there was um, Memorable Nights. So that's an event that happened, I think, 2017, I think. 
And that's kind of the year where a lot of events just came about. Um, when was Jojo's on? Jojo Abbott was probably the first going back. Because Jojo Abbott used to have a space. Yeah. And she was in an upside roll situation. So even there, I was just like watching her and how she was doing things. We did a few pop-ups, which was strange in Ghana at the time. Because everyone was doing a pop-up. There's music, there's drink, and there's clothing to buy. And it's like, what is this, you know? So it's funny that we started doing those things. And then extended into other people coming to do what they wanted. So remember one night was one of the situations where we had like a bunch of rappers or musicians who just came together and used the space to have a whole concert. And it was back to back to back to back of artists who were now trying to get out there and be visible to, you know, the general audience. And I've seen some of them, you know, evolve since then and they're like, they're doing so great. It's really amazing to see. In the art space as well, we had a, a couple of exhibitions also in the warehouse, but then the container also was with Frontback. Mm-hmm. Um, so they literally just gave me that portion and told me to do something with it. Initially, I knew it was a store, but I was like, running a store, the place was supposed to be open only in the night and the evening. I didn't want to do that. So I opted for having it as an exhibition space. Mm-hmm. And um, the first exhibition was with the brand called Yehu. So that one I curated myself and I worked with a couple of um, artists. Dana and uh, who else was involved? She drew on um, calico. We literally created a calico to cover all the walls mm. inside the container. And then she drew a container shop. Shall be inside the container. <laughs> so people will come and ask that, uh, do you have something? Are you selling like sugar and whatever? Like, no, this, it was all fake, but it's very real yeah. in terms of context. And, and then we had like the clothes from Yevo brand in there because they had also done a photo shoot which was taken back from um you know how the photographers used to have those backdrops yeah of whatever scene like an aeroplane or an office or a house that they would draw and put people in to take pictures so that was also taken off from from that inspiration very back in time <laughs> <laughs> so we had like yeah so we kind of made the, the container into a container shop but it was a virtual container shop and had real products from Yevo inside um, the next one, I think, was with um, Arsul Kajo. So he had his exhibition there. Then after that, like there was just a whole series of back-to-back. Every month, we would have a new exhibition. And this went on for, I think, at least two years straight. Um, and then I got exhausted. <laughs> 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 and um, I didn't monetize the situation because, again, the space was kind of like given to me for free. So I just figured, why, why now, you know, put that expense on someone else, which is already trying, you know, to get out there to begin with. Um, and that was the same with the warehouse. Um, most people came. It wasn't really expensive, if anything, but it was like mostly costs towards assisting and making things happen because we're not like an NGO that's here to just like, you know, dish out cash. So at what time did um, the local house yeah. concept store become a serious business and evolve mm-hmm. into a, a local? Well, um, so this is from 2008 till 2015. I had a job and then I finally quit. So in 2015, a local opened, which was now local house is there, but it was called local t-shirts. Still, it was still named local t-shirts. And, um, the girls were requesting things for girls because it was a very streetwear, very urban, very, um, a lot of stuff for guys, you know, stuff like it's not, nothing sexy to see. So the girls were now asking for, for products for girls. And uh, I just hit up a few people about the idea of you know, having their products. And they were like, you just couldn't wait because 
Yeah, most of them were like caught up with production and they didn't want to have to deal with the person not coming, coming yeah. buy that one item and waste their time. You know, it's just, it's just not what they want to be doing. So they were looking for somewhere where, you know, their, their products could be taken care of and sold. And we just came into the right time. Um, so, so from 2015, I've been working on my own. Um, and that's me now trying to figure out how to make this livable. You know, like I'm coming from a pretty well-paid job and most of what I made there, I usually put back into this because the t-shirt job really was making a loss for the longest time. Um, until we now started approaching um, conversation of having other products from other brands um, actually in the store. So El Loco started off like totally, completely on other people's products. I didn't create anything um, of my own yeah. to the to the store. And then Local House, after the 10-year anniversary came around, um, we had to now rename the place because suddenly after 10 years and everything that had happened and all that had been done, um, Local T-shirts was not the name to be used anymore. So I had to rebrand and we brought, um, use Local House as the name. That's kind of just like, it's okay, we have to get them. Yeah. So now Local House has been formed, uh, Local is doing well. What made the shop come to that limelight? What you hear from people who say is that you're particularly good at curating some very um, not so well-known brands into the shop. And, you know, it's not about saying the most popular brand out there, but, you know, focusing on some artistic style, some quality. What really made it, you know, popular? A bit different. Yeah, different, so. yeah. Well, I would start off saying, first of all, it was born out of something very personal. Um, so local house was mostly fun and games and I, I literally treated it as such for a long time. Um, El Loco on the other hand came out as, um, a personal project I wanted to do just to get out of, you know, a whole big change and shift in my life. Um, and it was literally a place I could go and put stuff together in a way that made me feel happy. Um, let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so my search for what would come within the space also was very selective and we were only picking brands, which, I mean, I guess I've had a good exposure, you know, between my parents and where I was, I lived up and down Milan, Lichit, where I could say I have some good taste, you know, and kind of see a product and imagine that people might be interested in it or not. Um, or if there was anything that we could say to make them edit or, you know, adjust the product so that I know it would appeal better to my customer base. Um, yeah, it was a conversation that was one by one. I met everybody, you know, I didn't just have someone take care of it for me. Um, literally in the beginning, I was in the store every single day. I was meeting everybody that came through the, the brands. I would see the product before, you know, we had them on board. Um, and it was a very exciting time also. I mean, I won't lie because people were now experimenting with things and everyone was pushing their own agenda and everyone was kind of like daring to do something now. And it was very exciting to see that, you know, we have our own expression. We have our own way of, you know, dressing up or putting clothing together of accessories, body care, whatnot, whatnot. And, um, it's like for the longest time we've been waiting on the West, you know, to answer all our problems and, 
I think the influx of people who came from outside and came back came back with a different mindset and a different skill set. And so they were willing to take on this um, challenge of, okay, if it's not around, I'll take, I'll do it myself. Um, which was the same, you know, in terms of what we're doing. Um, I think also I, I worked a lot with what I have. Like I would renovate or refurbish a lot of stuff. And so that kind of gives you some um, challenges in terms of, you know, there's some things you just kind of edit. You have to work with it. Mm-hmm. And so find a solution around it or try and make what you want to do work within that. Um, and so just always working with the spaces available and spaces provided and uh, how they already set up and just enhancing, you know, um, the natural features of it. And, and you say that at a time where local house was growing, right? What was happening in Ghana? What was that, you know, movement of people from the diaspora was? And like you, you, you said before, uh, when we were talking previously that it was a lot of timing being right. Mm-hmm. And the city of Accra had been historically a global city. Mm-hmm. And that coming together really brought those the story to online. Yeah. Um, generally, I think it was a lot to do also with social media, internet, you know, that era and that youth that grew up in that era. I mean, I'm from an era where I was analog. Mm-hmm. And I even watched photography go from analog to digital. And I was like, I don't like that, but I like it, but I don't like it, but I like it, you know, just with photography. Um, and then you're now with computers and then you go online, you have the internet. Then we started having all these ways of communicating. So what, Viber, Skype, um, moving on to Blackberry, Blackberry Messenger, and, and then evolving, you know, just watching that whole process happen was very interesting. And I think that also allowed people to access things now and see things really comfortably just sitting at home and you have a phone. I remember there's a time when you didn't have a mobile phone. Do <laughs> you remember that time? <laughs> <laughs> and, and now it's everything is literally at your fingertips. So we've, all, we've always consumed foreign movies and music. Like we've always done that. But I think the closeness now made it um, a lot more uh, part and embedded in the culture. And I think also you will see that there's cultures by generations. Every generation has a certain culture. Mm-hmm. And um, the younger one was now like completely different from your Ghanaian, I would think. Uh, the music taste was not necessary. It was this before even like, you know, Azonto and our Afrobeats really, really took off. I'm talking about the era just before that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of contamination or let's say, yeah, contamination. Pollination, all those things. Between cultures. Between cultures. And um, that allowed people to start thinking in a different sense and be like, you know, let me try doing this. And I won't lie, because of us even having a store that was selling what it was selling, it made people now believe that they could actually also do it. But a lot of times you need to see someone within your own space, you know, dealing with your own problems that can do something and they're like, okay, then if they can't help you, can. Um, so all of this was happening, like all of this was going on. Chalewate Festival was like, you know, so slowly, I'll tell you even something about that. It, it, it made us, because um, I have my sales charts from 2008 updates, right? So I can tell every year I overlap and I can tell when at the high points and when at the low points within the year. Traditionally, it was December, because mm-hmm. December. But then, as Chalewate Festival was growing, and art also became a thing in Accra, there was also another moment when August became like a destination for arts uh, enthusiasts. And so we saw chill, um, sales changing in that month as well. And so it's like, 
it's bringing people to town. Yeah. You know, uh, tourism is happening because of tourists don't want to come here and be bored, obviously. They're not going to come here and just sit at home. They want the parties, they want the, 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 the exhibitions, they want the all kinds of events happening because, you know, they're on holiday, you want to be doing stuff. Um, so it's all, you know, it's all connected. It's all interconnected. And how did the year of return impact this whole scene? Mm-hmm. So year of return has brought another flood of um, American influence um, into town. Which we've had, I mean, we've had more situations. I mean, it's one of the few countries all the American um, presidents have traveled to, you know, literally. We've had all of them come to Ghana at some points. And um, there's just yet another call for our diasporas to come, to come back home. Um, but you're, you're starting to see a situation where it's like December is crazy, you know, because everyone's here. Um, and then everyone leaves. You know, and so there's this uh, this moment of there's so much going on in December in Accra, but maybe it's not only for Ghanaians. Mostly mm-hmm. of it is not actually for Ghanaians. So there's two sides to this whole situation. You know, where people come here and they have so much fun and enjoy all of it, but then they leave. Um, and then those who live here, who kind of want to just like get out of the chaos until it's over, and then you know come back out. Um, but it's, it's I mean generally I'll say. The, the year of return has brought a lot of opportunities and a lot more spotlight onto the things that we should be, you know, putting our efforts toward. So, there is a popular belief that when you were at is able to go global, like be able to catch fire. <laughs> well, what, what is the problem for catching fire? Fire. <laughs> As in, I could fire people. <laughs> 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 no, I mean, um, so the, the baseline is this. If I see someone who is passionate and talented, you know, at something, and I think it's a pity to let that die out. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's like, I can, I can tell if someone's, you know, products or items are going to be amazing or they're just going to be okay or, you know, there's something very different or special about what they have. So Joey did say that, um, if you're a creative in Ghana, you have to pass through local house to blow. <laughs> That's what he said. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I think one, I'm being obedient and working in my purpose, first of all. You know, and doing the thing that I know is within me that I have to do. Um, I've never literally run away from that. And the time when I did go, of course, I was feeling incredibly not okay with myself, generally speaking. And I think a lot of creatives are that way. You know, unless they're doing what's in that them, it has to come out. Right, right? You know, it has to come out. And if, if, if you don't let it out, it's going to bother you. You you feel, you just feel not okay. And um, there are a lot of people like that here because most schools and institutions were not like, set up, at least at the time, to like foster this sense of creativity in people. Um, and so I think they were all kind of like looking for ways of which they could get what they had inside of them out. And we just were that space, you know. Um, one, like I mentioned earlier, because of timing. Two, because of my background and all the things I have done as well. Um, I also went to my personal you know, confusion and conflicts. So like, do I stay keeping a job or do I 
go on my own and take care of myself. That's a scary thought, you know, being an entrepreneur. I don't know anything about running a business. Okay, then I learned it because I was there at the other businesses, you know, working for others. Mm-hmm. So at some point you're ready and you just have to challenge yourself. You take that step. And just take that step. And then it's, it's it, it get easier. You know, a lot of it, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm always that person who's been probably with a lot of people who are now doing that first step. Mm-hmm. And, and after they've taken that, then they move on. You know, they move on to other things and... I can't say why, why, I mean, I don't know why, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it's been, it's been really nice seeing the progress from uh, lots of different people. Like, what do you see about an artist and you say, this artist has potential to blow? Well, I, I, still, I don't even look at it like they have potential to blow. I'm just attracted to what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually it's because it's different. Okay. Usually. It's just a, you know how here too, a lot of times when one person does something and it's like everybody yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, duh. So everyone can even recognize sometimes that something is done well. It's not necessarily just the monetary gain or the financial aspect, but like, once something becomes popular, it's because people just connect with it, you know, for some reason. And um, I guess I'm going to be more fine tuned in that connection process um, or my ability to notice. Um, or interpret what they, I don't know, it's not even my interpretation, it's just seeing something that's different, you know, from, from everything else. Um, so that's probably been my mind. Uh, you put you as a judge in these events a lot. Right? One before. Yeah. Like the fashion? It wasn't even fashion, it was, um, Formosa Guinness, they were doing their 30th Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saw that Joshua Clofas, my friend, was Ted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that. Okay. So, yeah, I wouldn't mind doing some of those, because it's nice, because you can do, you know, interact and see new stuff, which is always exciting. So, you started with, um, cultivating... Well, yeah, I want to use the word cultivating the art space. Um, starting the the gallery, container, all of these spaces. Now there are lots more of them, right? Mm-hmm. One of the interesting conversations I've had in this season is about bringing art to the public. Because more often than not, it seems art is shelved. It seems art is for a specific group of people. What has been your personal contribution? What do you think about that subject? Um, well, like how I went through uni as well, when I got into design, we had to define what design is. And I think one of the conversations I had a lot here at the beginning was what is arts for Africans? Mm-hmm. Because we didn't do arts. We did, you know, uh, sculptures and effigies and yes, they're representations, but they always had like a function. They weren't just like always pretty. So I'm going to put it on my wall. No. Every mask has, you know, a reason for me. Some of them are for protection. Some of them are for what, what. And a lot of what was taken from here, you know, by some foreign museums and whatnot. And they call it art. We don't recognize it as art. But the definition, we have to even now analyze what is it that we consider art here. Um, so for the art scene, um, you just start to realize, like, a lot of people wanted to express what they um, they were blessed with, you know, whatever talent they were blessed with, and uh, it was done in a way that was probably not like it was done before. Um, 
I think before when he talks about going to an art show, it's for buyers and collectors, and you know, it was kind of closed off a certain kind of audience. But for public consumption of art and creativity, and I guess I also saw a lot of these situations when I was in Milan, when I was in Leche, and they kind of helped me to understand that if you don't bring it close to people, they won't interact with it. Especially here, you know, there's some people who might be enter certain building because they're mm-hmm. too good. Yeah. It's like, I can't step into this place. And it was interesting because at the time there was still like a lot of other people involved in this conversation, like I know gallery, they had like this mobile museum that they were taking around to places. So they would try and ask people, what is their interaction with a museum? Or what is their thoughts on it? But just bring it into their community and let them interact with this mobile museum. Um, and they, they did a whole bunch of research and gathered a lot of information on these things. Um, and the same way, like all these galleries were also open, you know, where it's trying to attract a different kind of audience. Um, so I guess behind the scenes, we're all experimenting. And um, my contribution, my contribution has been, you know, having fun with it. <laughs> and um, just allowing the most kind of freedom, I guess, of expression that we uh, find at the time, probably. But there weren't locations dedicated to um, something like that. And this was not like an official location. It was very, you know, we all get together and do it together. So that was the most of it Yeah. So that definition of art or African definition of art, that is, what would you describe or then and then how, also how did it evolve? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think we've still managed to have a very specific definition. Um, and even that, it's not, it's not even like location-based to yeah. some degree because it's not like you have Italian art, but you have maybe movements, Renaissance, or, you know, there's like different yeah. eras of different things happening. Um, we have a lot of different kinds of arts also that have been expressed here. You know, there's dance, there's, there's performance, there's, it's not just painting, there's music, there's, there's a lot of different ways people are just like trying to use different medium and experimenting with that. Um, flagging something as African art, what does it mean? Like it's supposed to be tribal. We don't only have, you know, this is done by Kenyan. Does this look African in any way? No, you know, so it's like, how do you define African arts? And is it even necessary to define it as African? I mean, can a Ghanaian artist not just be an artist? Does he have to be a Ghanaian artist? Does he have to be a black artist? Does he have to be an African artist? Mm-hmm. You know, these kinds of conversations are more question than answer. Um, but it's, it's good to have everybody start interfacing with those questions because the whole conversation of art is very new here in, in the commercial sense, you mm-hmm. know. In, in, in the Western sense, because like I was saying, our art is not considered for the purpose of art. It is usually considered for maybe some spiritual pers- uh, purpose. That's in traditional settings. And today we have everything else, which is again, Western influenced. What systems are we using for pricing, for sales? It's still not complete. You know, we have galleries, yes, but. Artists don't have managers. They don't have representation in that sense. A lot of artists have to do the drawings themselves, have to come up with their concepts themselves, they have to sell their art themselves. They have to do all that on their own because the structure is not even set up here as it would be abroad. You know, you have artists have managers as it would normally be. So the person, the manager is the one who will go and book the shows for them. It's the one who will go and talk to galleries to get their work exhibited or have it in the place. So we're missing a lot of the, the pieces, mm-hmm. you know, over here. And, um, 
to start, I think it's good that everyone should kind of like crank it out doing everything. So you kind of know the full, yeah. <laughs> the full um, spectrum of your, 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 your field. But then I get to the point where you actually have to jump, make that jump to being professional and then you have to have these figures, you know. Mm-hmm. I had to hire accountants. I had to like have a law firm, you know, all the stuff. You don't just continue in your amateur ways, you know, till the end. And art is in the big evolution now, I feel, at least in this space. It's going through a big evolution. We mm-hmm. are yet to define our art season in Ghana. You know, we know Artex is in Lagos, you know, there's fashion week in Lagos. There's big appointments, you know, people come from the world to go see. We are yet to, I think, define our art season in Ghana. It used to be Charlie Wote, but now I don't know what's happening with the, the whole festival, if it's you know, yeah. still very much alive or it's still recovering or, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, and then from your perspective, how do you see your role? Is it more about, because I can see two aspects, is it more about pushing art, developing art, or it's more about the individual artists mm-hmm. and helping people to kind of push theirs? Yeah. How do you look at that? Um, I think starting out, we're all very innocent, you know, and we're not having these kind of thoughts as the end goal. Mm-hmm. Um. And it has been over time, that means 15 years, you know, now we have a name, we've done something, we look behind, oh, there's this, that, 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 okay, fine. But whilst you're doing it, you're just mm-hmm. doing it, at least that's my, my story. Okay. <laughs> okay, from the beginning, so now at this particular stage, do you have looking forward? Oh yeah, I mean, I've had lots of projects I wanted to carry out. And uh, funding is mostly the problem, you know, because we're still operating on a very, um, home-based yeah. kind of, you know. Yeah, but what I'm trying to understand is because you said you started out and kind of evolved along the lines. Yes. You know, my question is, at this stage where you are, is it more of now you kind of have, see a clearer vision and it's maybe just, yes, of course, the way on how to get it in terms of funding and other aspects. How about you? Now you that's no, not clear. It's, it's, um, there's always been a bigger vision. Mm-hmm. There's always been a bigger vision. Um, Let's say from, I think from 2019, after like year 10, we saw the potential profile of things. We already had like a very clear idea of what would come next. But COVID came next, who the hell saw that coming? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it took us all of 2020, 21 to kind of get stuff together again. 2022 is finally almost back to normal. Um, and now this year is when I'm now going to implement all these plans that have been kind of shelved for the past two, three years. Because how in the world are we going to take these off? Um, but so to answer your question, I have been wanting to have like an institute space okay. where training can probably go on, but not like in a professional, um, like a totally academic sense. It's more you do and you learn as you do it, you know. So a very workshops, um, very practical based kind of educational space, which is what we're doing literally. Like you want to do something. A lot of people come and tell me, you know, I want to be this, I want to be that. I'm like, so what are you doing? in that field yeah. or nothing. I'm like, so how do you know you're even interested? You might even start to find out you don't even like it, you know? So I'm a law about try it out and be freaking curious. Like, please be curious. Otherwise you will learn. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's like what will pull out people's, um, personal. Yeah. So you just, you just want to create a spaces that enables people to explore their curiosity. Yeah. And then know, perhaps it takes on someone that doesn't, yeah, but every experience will definitely give you something. Yeah. You know, you're not losing time with anything. Mm-hmm. You learn something in, in, in any post. 
even if you become the road sweep up the road you learn something about people like you will learn something (laughs) um so yeah like i have always wanted to have that kind of um environment for myself you know where i didn't feel like some kind of outcast they used to call me crazy when i was a kid and that was my name (laughs) crazy crazy period like because i was so different Mm. everything i like is so off it's like just my way it's just like why what you pay you pay why (laughs) you know and um yeah, so to the point where I didn't even believe certain things would be possible. So what do you feel are some of the highest moments um, in the history of Lukas and Aloko? Oh, wow. Highest moments. Um, hmm. it's, been a, it's been like one huge grind. <laughs> Just constantly going on. Um, well, I guess like for me, obviously reaching a 10-year anniversary was one we're having a 15 year anniversary this year so that's like a big milestone for local house mm-hmm. um our local i think when we moved into the current building has been like one of our high moments because now we are in a place where it's literally curated to have and like and i love old buildings so that's uh that's a big plus and we also had a partnership 2020 with uh, Ghana Enterprises Agency and Masterpiling of Progress Foundation, which was um, also quite um, necessary at the time, also considering COVID and all that. Um, it was good uh, to feel recognized by an uh, official body for creating access to market for a lot of operators. Yeah, I'll say, obviously then a lot of nice people have come through, all kinds of celebrities and things that have passed by and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I think like for El Loco, it's like last year when we finally moved into a new building and um, look at how it's been, it's been a lot of Yeah, it's a few to mention. <laughs> yeah. And what does that journey into the future looks like for you? Well, for me, the, um, the structure of the company should be able to be multiplied. Um, you know, have different branches. Um, we definitely want to start doing trips abroad, you know, and carrying what we have outside. Like yeah. pop-ups and exhibitions? Yeah. yeah. Also, there's other projects which I want to carry out locally, but that really relies a lot on availability of funds and space, <laughs> which uh, are two complicated issues in the at the moment. Um, but if those go through, it would be, be a nice addition to a crowd scene. Um, yeah, I think generally speaking, and then the registration of an institute so that we could get into our educational um, experimentation. I mean, Accra obviously plays a big role in the story, mm-hmm. and this is Tedas Accra. But what do you think are the opportunities outside of Accra for arts and tourism? Um, outside of Accra, there's a lot of amazing, beautiful places like a lot, um, a lot of places we've seen, um. You know, just traveling with Takosombu, Norongo. There's a lot of beautiful places outside Accra, like a lot. So, and I think more people go outside and give them credit because um, it's sort of a party scene. So you don't have like, all these videos flying online on, online afterwards. So you, you think it didn't happen. But a lot of people travel abroad, like outside of Accra, to, to visit. You know, so I guess. Uh, and, um, yeah. 
Yeah. My, my question probably is then how do we make sure we market those places too to Ghana doesn't become a crap center? Well, I think we have to start with making sure the places can receive guests mm-hmm. before going out and marketing because then you'll have like the counter effect where people come and then you're not ready for them. And then you just provide feedback. Yeah. So it's be best to kind of like address the locations first and make sure that they are ready to receive a certain kind of also customer because some are very refined, some may might not be. But you have to be ready to, you know, accommodate all of those. Uh, so yes, starting off with getting the place ready, um, and then you can advertise. I mean, we're, we're doing a good job already in terms of getting uh, the information out there. I think we could do better, obviously, because I've noticed that a lot of people organize tours from outside and bring people in, and it has no one, no one involved from here per se. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the tour is advertised abroad to foreigners, and then they handle the whole logistics and come to Canada. They have their holiday in the Um So it's like. We're not even the ones handling that process, yeah, yeah. you know, to some degree. So there's also those situations which I've also already noticed. Um, it means that we are lacking. Otherwise, no one will have room from outside to do it as well. Exactly. Um, hopefully, they partner up with local um, tour guys as well. But earlier, you were talking about how your hometown in Italy, you know, kind of. Did a whole did a whole revamp. Like, what yeah. some of the lessons that we can learn from that? Oh wow, there's lots. They first off, they cleaned up the city center, so there was a lot of renovation, you know, inside the city itself, um, which got a lot of negative pushback. You know, why people hate? <laughs> they don't like it. They don't want yeah. it. You're coming to you're just coming to disrupt my life. Stop. But when it was all done and finished, and everyone was like, "Wow, this looks beautiful." Um, so once they started with that, then, you know, like we are, we are lucky we're in the city. That's, that was like in Tamale, let's put it. Yeah. It's like out in the, the lowest part of Italy, forgotten to, to everyone. So even like the airports to get there wasn't like a major airport. Um, so they had to start having those set up. Um, but they promoted a lot of the festivals, which were traditional. Mm-hmm. So they started off with festivals, which are already traditionally celebrated by locals. And giving them much more funding, uh, media coverage, um, promotion, um, and mostly the government was involved also. I mean, like that on, a, on a communal level or regional, not really communal level, um, in making sure that these festivals are carried out. Um, so we just found a lot of people coming through, um, accommodations, you know, a lot of the old. Abandoned properties were now like the incentives were put together for people to buy and convert them into Airbnbs or whatever it was. Um, yeah, it's just like a general cleanup of the city, first of all. Yeah, it looks like policy. it looks like from what you're describing, cool, it looks like an ideal place to kind of embody that. Cool. Yeah, yeah, because like there was already a festival, mm-hmm. there are some of the highest points in yeah, Ghana. It's not what you have, right? Yeah. Instead of now going to create something totally new, mm-hmm. it's good to start with what you have and build on that. Um, so whatever festivals we have now, mind you, there's some festivals which attract foreigners and some which don't. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have to also be able to now distinguish which ones you want to like bring high yeah. make them yeah. national yeah. To, to a degree. Um, even like Kaporadu, when they all wear the um, what do they call those? A boatry? Yeah, what do they call them? They have a name. Oh yeah, the the mask thing. The yeah. masquerade. Yeah. You know, that's that's something people have been going to a lot, yeah. you know. But that's Which, a very local yeah. festival. Yeah. 
maybe could be made no. it could be made yeah. because yeah. I feel like I see a, I see a connection between extra mm-hmm. and, done and then it will change the whole I see a, a little connection between that and um, these Brazilian festivals yeah where, that's a carnival yeah carnival yeah, exactly. exactly. yeah. but even the carnival you know that it has to come from the locals first I mean even the development of the place will it won't happen if it is driven by foreigners yeah that's what I'm saying so because, like hmm? your local festivals that already exist and try and inject into them a little more modern um, maybe approaches uh, making it more how do I say um, like accessible to even someone who's from outside and doesn't really understand it mm. do you get me? Like, no, I, mean, I understand your point it could, be, it could become a lot bigger mm. than what it is which fine to some degree is like you're taking away from the locals what is theirs because that also happened mind you yeah. there were some festivals which used to happen inside the town mm-hmm. and they got so overpopulated they had to now move it out to you know some canopy in a field somewhere where access was easier and people could like a lot of people could go and it wouldn't be anything dangerous for anyone um, so it's like if it grows too big obviously becomes something else yeah, but that's what was the evolution in terms of was it foreigners that came first or people from other parts of Italy initially? Um, so traditionally there were like German, um, how do I say, pensioners, yeah. and you know, just very calm, okay, simple holiday people who were just looking for somewhere nice to go and that was affordable and mm. it was more traditional, um, and entertainment. You see, there wasn't like these, it's not Ibiza, let's put it that way, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. Um, so that was the initial audience. And then it's like that area also is very much an arts destination. You know, there's a lot of churches and cathedrals and a lot of arts and crafts, you know, that's like, um, to be appreciated. And it's just part of the system. It's just part of the place. So a lot of people are coming because of that. So that's the kind of tourists you're going to have. People who are interested in history and culture and obviously beach and food. And that's it, not necessarily every night in a disco kind of situation. Yeah. What happened after a while was because we also had like a festival that was very reggae oriented. Um, we had like a whole <laughs> influx of kids who, well, you know, they camp out, everyone's smoking weed, like the whole thing turned to some ganja, ganja festival. <laughs> so then that was my- like, one of them that they tried to kind of contain because maybe it was attracting people that they weren't necessarily wanting to attract, you know, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, they're all experiences that, you know, I watched happen and how they evolved. So you could even at least have some kind of background in this kind of stuff. Um, so earlier you were saying that some of these citizens of crowd need to learn how to accept for it. What do you think that we have done so well in accepting this? Yeah. How about accepting? It's been um, getting the skill sets required to be in the um, hospitality industry. Mm-hmm. It's a whole set of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not very well known for, to be honest, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> if we're talking tourism, it's hospitality. And we need to start having the, the conversations about, you know, what is great hospitality? And why do we not do it? Mm-hmm. Because I've seen a lot of places where people complain about poor service and even our attitudes towards each other. That actually transpires into how you treat customers. Um, so, like, uh, outside Accra, I find people to be a lot more 
um, how do I say, welcoming, mm-hmm. actually, than in a cry itself. Because here, yeah, we've seen it all. Then we're in a cry. But people who are outside are a bit more fascinated by foreigners or, I mean, yeah, um, general education, I think, in terms of manners, it's a bit, in the small towns, it's always better than people behave better as well in big cities. Um, so you get that a lot. I think mostly it has to do with like infrastructure and like certain kinds of services like internet or, you know, if we want to attract foreigners, it's knowing what they also, you know, um, hold dear and cherish on the travel and holiday. Um, do you still work with emerging artists and what do you see as some changes between then and now? In the art development, the uh, growth, maybe the attitude, mm-hmm. willingness to learn. Mm-hmm. With the artists, um, I see that there's a lot more um, who are willing to come out and maybe not necessarily take that as their career path, but actually just do something about what they are talented and not just put it away to the side and get some forgotten thing. Um, so I'm seeing that more and more, um, most artists are coming out and trying to identify their medium of expression properly. They're, they're willing to, um, and just confront an audience, mm-hmm. which before most people would just, you know, quietly sketch at home and not really put it out like that. Um, a lot of them are also going online, you know, so they have a different uh, approach to even how they, commercialize their work or how they sell it. Um, a lot of them even get picked up by foreign galleries, yeah. you know, art mm-hmm. houses, which is great to see. So these are things that were not happening before. Simply because of exposure and, again, the presence on the ground of certain particular um, figures. So, you know, scouts or buyers or we didn't have buyers coming and flying out of a crowd that we did like before. It, doesn't, it didn't happen. And now it's happening. You've been in the industry for a very long time now, and we can call you an industry OG, I guess. <laughs> if there are people that are trying to do pop-ups, because again, you inspired a lot of these new pop-ups that are a lot of Accra. I hope at least that's the thought around it because you're the first to have done that. Now there are a lot of these galleries, arts centers. If people are trying to do built-ins in the art space, what do you think your push should be like? Well, obviously, be passionate about what it is you're doing because um, the art space is very unforgiving. You can get into it. It's just a personal, emotionally draining. Um, so definitely have a passion for, for what you're doing. You might not see results immediately. Like in my case, local teachers was open for years and were making losses. But because I had a job and like losing money, then I was also doing freelance graphic design. That was always like fueling um, the expenses. Uh, if it was for business, I'd shut down the mountain. But um, yeah, find a space that you are in. Um, how do I put this? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that space is very, very broad. You get me? It's music, it's music. Mm. It's. Uh, it's arts, visual arts, it's, it's, if it's performance, it's another thing. Um, I think you have to be very true to yourself, like very honest with yourself and what it is you want to communicate, mm-hmm. what it is you have inside that you've been trying to maybe explore, figure out, whatever. All, all, all these expressions of art, I think, usually come from a very personal place. 
Um, so make sure your message is something you want to share with the world, first of all. And it should be pretty much unique to you. Um, the beginning in, in, in this space, there's a lot There's a lot of opportunities also. I want people to just be aware of that because if you're in Accra, you can easily end up on a project of some big foreign-style international um, company that's coming to Accra that need local content as well. Um, and how do you position yourself? Well, definitely be in the scene and definitely produce work. Um, you have to have something to talk about. You can't just say, I know how to do something. Mm-hmm. Who's ever seen you do it? Um, be present and, you know, the events happening in town. Like, I used to go out all the time. Now people are tired. <laughs> like, I used to be on Republic every single night for a while. And I met so many people there. Like, so many people. Then, yeah, Republic became way more mainstream and it wasn't our special hiding place anymore so uh, some of us just kind of shy away but it's doing very well you know it's become a landmark in Accra people have to go there when they come visiting and they literally started from one idea you know and they stayed very true to that one idea which was taking a fetish and transforming it into something that wasn't the stigma it had and is now used for cocktails all the people get really trashed I mean it's still <laughs> 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 but you know that was that was the fruit of the whole concept and it's still going on today um so they made their marketing that department there's a lot there's so much like seriously there's so much you can go into landscaping you can go into designing um there's so many things we need in town and, mm. and what would you say to those people around collaboration which has been a huge part of your yeah. process you definitely need to do some one pro bono work so definitely collaborate with people just to get a feel of what's happening. Um, and just be upfront about what you want. You know, if it's if it's for business, you're doing it. Well, obviously you're expecting to make profits, so that should be straightforward talk. You know, you have your contract set up, you have your engagements, the way they're supposed to be done, and everyone's aware of the setup. Um, I see a lot of times people are just trying to accommodate or please others. And so they never really speak their mind about what they expect in return or what maybe they are assumptions might be in terms of how they're going to be compensated with your time and energy and yeah and then you can get a bit messy <laughs> but that's also learning care that's fine you also go through those experiences um the collaborations are definitely necessary they 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 help everybody involved to you know create something without it necessarily being a financial conversation mm-hmm. yeah and how do you see the art space in Ghana evolving over the years? I mean, the next few years here in the future. Ooh. Wow, projections. <laughs> I think well, you've been. You, stay stable. Yeah. It keep growing. <laughs> um, we'll definitely keep growing. I'm seeing a lot more coming out. I just wish that maybe on the educational side, they'll be a bit more formalized. Because a lot of our artists come out self-taught. You know, they're all like um, teaching themselves how to be artists. So it would be great if in our future we had some kind of... Which is something you're trying to do. Teach these people. You yeah. know, um, on maybe even just the process, you know, of engaging with an art career. Mm-hmm. Those kind of very practical lessons. We even like had like classes on like privacy, I'm sorry, on um, intellectual property yeah. and copywriting and all that stuff. So the legal things are the dangerous. They're very part. important. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be doing business, you have some Um But yeah, I don't know how much 
it's going to still grow here if it's going to be uh, relying on the local consumption of arts than if it's through because a lot of a lot of things here happen because there's also like the foreign elements that you know put some resources into it um if there were no foreigners in ghana would we sell a lot of arts i'm not sure i don't know you know so maybe it then leads back to something you were saying before that we should try and find out out season, destiny, yeah, yeah, and our season. You exactly. know, these things need to be curated together. Consistent, mm-hmm. you know, they should have some longevity. And exactly, people will now start becoming used to seeing certain like things. December is a thing in Dakar. Exactly, yeah, and that happened over time. Mm-hmm. That wasn't just from day to day. Um, so definitely, it's, it's important to have some kind of art culture in building up. What is that one thing that? Inspires you every day to wake up. Right now, duty. <laughs> <laughs> it's duty. Um, what inspires me? Because there's moments when you actually lose inspiration. I wouldn't lie. I went through a tough patch after um, a couple of years ago. Um, what inspires me? I can't just wake up and do the do. <laughs> no, but um. I think it's the kind of life I want to have that I've been working towards. And there's been a lot of uh, side, side routes and diversions and, you know, longer routes and things on a lot of processes. But generally, I'm just trying to live the life I want to live. Uh, I'm not told by anybody what to do every day. And that's really major for me because I really don't do well with instructions. I, I like I don't like being told what to do. <laughs> so being my own boss is um yeah, it's kind of got a lot to do with my character. Mm-hmm. Although I work with people and I work very well with others. Um but I didn't see that happening forever. So even just the opportunity of being able to do that for me is like it's a good thing. Um and yeah, there's so much every day to do. You know, I don't really need to wait for something to fall into my lap. There's always like a pile of things waiting for me to do. So it's just a duty. We have to get them done. We have to get them done. And if you look back um, at all these years, are there some lessons, some regrets? Um, lessons, many, 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 like a lot. Every day is a lesson. You know, we went from not even knowing what retail is to now being like the re- retail reference points to African products in the country so the lessons have been a lot and again it's kind of like the approach i was always talking about like in doing you learn so as you're ex- executing things and trying them out you make mistakes you you learn better you do better your 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 yes your skill sets and your information and your education about it improves always um so you have to do it you have to kind of like get yourself down and dirty and put your hands in the big and, and do things um regrets not major ones you know just maybe you meet idiots along the way who just piss you off but that's not a thing to regret um but yeah maybe um being too trusting of people sometimes and you know you need help you try to you're not getting the people you want who get your vision or who you know who can actually support in that sense that's been a bit of a challenge but I wouldn't say there's like major regrets, no, not at all. What should you look? Um, what should we expect from Stefania 
in the last year. Hey, Charlie. Me myself, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like for me, not even for others, for me, what I want to see for myself is that I'm going to have some chill life small because I've been working like a dog for the longest time. Um so in the next few years I hope to be chilling. <laughs> I want to be chilling. <laughs> But yeah, and obviously still doing what I do and enjoying it, you know, trying to work smarter, not harder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Is there is there anything from the TEDx that you would want to talk about? Oh TEDx was great. Um I met a lot of really cool people. Um it was really exciting to see like this young generation that's doing so much and changing so many things, you know. Um, I met a couple of people who were like in the education and the approach is so different and so new, which is exactly what we need here. Um, people about emotional learning and intelligence, um, web three, it was like, you know, all around very well put together, um, topics or conversation that came together. And, um, it was also very cool to see how people are now responding to this kind of events and this kind of content. Um, there was like an audience response that was, yeah, it was quite touching. And there was quite a lot of feedback and people were really proud that we had this happening here. By the way, I was actually asking you what you spoke about and whether you wanted this. Yeah. <laughs> so that oh, was wow. not, yeah, but anyway, it worked. <laughs> oh, wow. But was there something that you spoke what about, I spoke about that you want to ask to highlight here? About my conversation that I yeah. had? Oh, my conversation was about the power of one and how one person can literally transform any anything. You know, one person can change a lot. I think we've already touched on that in some levels, no? Really? What's that? Do we touch on this? Today? Mm -hmm. No. Then I guess in my previous conversation. Previous anyway. conversation. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, um, it was just a conversation on that. And even myself, like in doing the research for, for the talk, I came across some stories which made me really realize that, you know, you can literally... A guy planted a whole forest on his own. Okay, so... Like, that kind of level of... Okay, impact. so I'm going to ask her a question now. We are recording, right? Okay, cool. Anyway, I'm going to ask you a question and then you respond. TEDx thing. Okay. So, in your TEDx talk, you talked about this one guy who planted these trees that really kind of chained where they are can you expand on that yeah it was um, a guy who um the course of about 35 years if i remember right planted i don't know how many hectares of forest like every day this guy would wake up and go plant trees and a place which would be like a barren land turned into a whole forest the forest is not like small it's like a huge portion of land that is now has vegetation, has wildlife, like literally was brought back to life. And this was by one person's effort. What did he do? He was like consistent. He did a little every single day. He did something every single day. But look at how many years. That's maybe half a life or a quarter of a life, a person's life, fine. But he has left a legacy that's going to go on way beyond his death or his children's death. And that was just one person. That's what struck me the most. Um, and a lot of times when they've spoken to me about, you know, what I do and how I've affected things, it's always like it's me and I'm the person who's doing it. Uh, 
But I would love that other people can take it on. If I always tell people, I have no idea what happens. I think the whole thing just dies because I'm not around. I don't want that to be the, the case. So I like that it can be carried on as a legacy that And what do you feel like you would want that legacy to be? Hmm. Yeah, you're going deep. <laughs> I mean, a legacy could be even just affecting the city, you know, because I have my plans literally going to the urbanizing, urban planning and urbanization of some areas or reorganization of some areas. So let me just say, I have OCD and when I see things that are not done right, it makes me tick. <laughs> okay. So I'm out there trying to fix things all the time. Um, and there's so much to fix here, you know, so much from your gutters to your streets, to your lights, uh, to you know, how we have fun, where we have fun, what we do, all these things. Um, I just literally worked in a space that I found interesting for myself, which is fashion design, mixing, you know, music experiences all into one. And it's literally created a whole new way of enjoying Accra, which for me, I just want to keep evolving, you know, my personal interest in wherever they'll take me. Yeah. Hmm. If all those problems disturb you, you might not be chilling anytime soon. <laughs> no, I've learned to close my eyes to something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, 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 you have to know where you are supposed to fight some battles and where you just can't. Otherwise, you will literally go crazy. I was very frustrated at the beginning, I won't be lying. But mm-hmm. with time, you realize that you literally cannot do it all. And some things you just have to accept. And that was also like a learning curve for me because. Yo, I want it my way, I want it my way. And so there's some things which I just do not compromise on, but there's some battles that you just cannot handle. Or maybe it's not the time for them, or, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, I have projects that are waiting on the shelf from for longest, you know, but I know if I, I force, it won't go through, and it won't happen. Yeah, but it's a, I mean, you mentioned timing. Mm-hmm. So when the timing comes and your passion comes and the duty comes, you might not be chilling, but maybe we'll invite you for your next project. Chill all the way. It <laughs> <laughs> yeah. might be chill anyway, we'll see. Okay. No, but chilling as in I'm not doing anything. Like I'm going to the beach, I'm getting pampered and massaged and yeah, that's what I call chilling. That's what we call chilling. That's what I call chilling. Yeah. No work involved. <laughs> see a different future. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Thank you very much, Stefania, for coming to the podcast. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Great having you guys. It was great um, talking to you too. And uh, we're looking forward to all the change that is going to happen to Accra. Post your challenge. Yeah. I'm the challenge. Yeah. I'm the challenge. Yeah. Yeah. You deserve that. Oh, say so. Okay, so this has been the Change Africa podcast, and we've had Stefania Manfred with us talking about arts and arts revolution in Accra. Um, hopefully, you subscribe to the YouTube channel, to our podcast channels, and hear more exciting conversations on this TED special edition of the Change Africa podcast. See you next time. Ciao. Thanks. <laughs>